Hello, everyone, and welcome to Think Like a Dog podcast, hosted by Andrea Paiva and Millie Travis. In this podcast, we discuss how to build the best relationship with your dog. From rescues to reactivity, we'll cover it all. Welcome back to Think Like a Dog podcast, and today we're doing episode 10, and we're going to talk about grooming and vet visits, and we have Joe here with us. Joe is a trainer and at Mirror Image Canine, and she was with us last episode where we talked about puppies. So um, today we're going to go more in depth about grooming and vet visits, which is a really big topic for all parents, all dog parents, really, because it's, you know, you're going to go through that sometime with your puppy, you're going to have to get them groomed. You're going to have to go to the vet. And most of the time it's a really chaotic experience. So, um, we're going to start talking about first the handling portion. So how do you prepare a new puppy for grooming? When it comes to like the puppy side of it, I think, um, and Jill and I talked about this the other day, I think the biggest thing, the biggest misconception of preparing your puppy for, for grooming and handling is the difference between desensitizing and then just messing with your puppy. Jill, can you like explain the times where you see people just like antagonizing their puppy versus desensitizing them to something? Yeah. So I I've heard a couple of clients talk about it. I see it online. Sometimes people like desensitizing their puppy by pulling on their tail, pulling on their ears, um, having kids mess with them. And all of those things aren't things that necessarily desensitize your puppy. It's more like picking on your puppy or, or your adult dog. So the difference is setting aside a time where you can put a leash on your dog and be very intentional with them about what you're doing. With grooming, I like to use um, uh, an electric toothbrush, like a vibrating toothbrush, um, which can kind of simulate the feeling of, uh, hair clippers or a nail dremel and I'll run that on their body. Um, and of course, if, if just that noise at first scares them, then that's where I work. Yeah. I mean, I, I got that one time with a client who, um, the, wife was pregnant and dad said, okay, well, I've been really like, I've been pulling on their ears and I've been pulling on the tail and I've been kind of putting some pressure on their side and, um, you know, just to get them ready for, for the baby. And I kind of looked at him and I'm like, no matter how many times you slap me in the face, I'm never getting used to it. Right. The more you do that, the more I'm going to, um, kind of prepare to fight back. So I think, you know, with Jill, she sort of picks the point where, okay, are you okay? Cause I've seen you do this. Are you okay? Just with me picking your paw up and putting it down. That's desensitizing them. Can I just touch the tremors to your nail? Um, or, you know, for plenty of dogs, because the Dremel is a very loud sound or it can be there. You can buy quiet ones. We have a couple mm-hmm. quiet ones, but they don't work as quickly as the like good old fashioned Dremel. Um, but the second that we turn it on, sometimes dogs will react and that's where Jill works. A lot of the time it's wherever the reaction is. But a lot of times when you get a new puppy home, yes, they do need to be taught like, okay, I need to be able to manipulate your body because of course that's something. And we'll talk about that later on when we talk about vet visits, that that can be life threatening. Right. So, or or a, a safety thing is I need to be able to look in your mouth and see what's going on. Or, you know, if you've eaten something, um, but there is a difference between, messing with your dog and kind of bullying your dog a little bit versus teaching them how to accept being manipulated in their, like with their body. Right. Right. So when you are desensitizing them for grooming, so you start with an electric toothbrush, you just kind of run 
run it through their body just to get them familiar with it. If mm-hmm. they jump at first, do you just go back and, and try to yeah. redo that motion with them? So if I if I get a big reaction out of them, um, whether that's fear or even overexcitement, um, just from someone interacting or touching them, I, I never pull away or stop what I'm doing. I instead just stay there for a minute. And once the reaction goes down a little bit, then I release any pressure that I have on them. So if, if I have the electric toothbrush out, I touch them with it. It's a big reaction. I'm just going to stop for a minute. I won't pull away. I won't coddle them. And then I'll probably go back. But maybe I need to start a, a step before that. So maybe they just need to hear the, um, the sound before I start that. So when you are doing this with them, when would you say would be a good time to start? Like when you first bring them home, you kind of add that to your training schedule with them or should you wait a little bit and introduce it later after that first week they're home? How would you introduce that? I mean, I would say right away is always ideal. Um, add it into your training schedule a couple minutes every day. It doesn't have to be like you're spending 30 minutes a day with your new puppy doing that um, because they get frustrated and they get tired of it. So yeah, just make it normal, neutral, part of your routine. I mean, I wouldn't even spend 30 minutes with your adult dog because especially if it's a new dog to you or if it has a history of having an issue with uh, handling or grooming, don't spend that long. I mean, when, when we do, um, when you do, uh, the, the handling sessions, I always make sure to tell people when I set it up for you, she's not going in there with the intention to get all of the nails done. She's going in there with the intention to get whatever nails she can done in the calmest way she can. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it could just be that you get one nail done after an hour of working with them or 20 minutes, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times people go into it and they're like, okay, it's the time of the month. I got to get the nails done. It's that one day I have it on the schedule. Mm -hmm. Everybody, the whole family, let's jump on the dog Mm -hmm. um, and hold them down and let's just get it done. And I, and that, makes it harder every month that you do it. Yeah. And it's a lot more productive if you can maybe do one nail a day and work there. And then by, um, you know, a, a couple weeks, then all the nails are done. Um, or 10 days, I guess. Or Yeah. But I mean, it's, it depends on how many you get done though, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, it's less about getting it all done. It's, it's more about what can you get done? But I had this the other day. Um, I can't remember who it was, but the, the client said, okay, well, I can, I can probably do one nail a day. I can probably sneak that. And I'm like, no, no, no. The, the intention is not to sneakily do your dog's nails without them noticing, right? Mm-hmm. The intention is to work them through it. So you take 10 minutes and, and you get where you get, but it's not, you're not, you're not going to go to this crazy high intensity level and we're not forcing anything on them. Mm-hmm. So what should you do before starting that process of um, bringing out the clippers or uh, doing the electric toothbrush? Should you do you create time or should you exercise them? What should you do before starting that? Yeah, I think exercise is always a good thing um, to do beforehand. So they're already mentally, physically fulfilled um, to, to a certain extent. And then it'll make it a little easier when you start those things. It also um, begins that with calm. Um, so as long as you exercise the correct way. Right. Yeah. Right. If you're going to play fetch in the backyard with your Britney Spaniel and then for 10 minutes and then try to come in and convince them to have a different idea about nail trims all you did was start the excitement and then you're gonna have trouble and should you keep the lead on them while you're doing this with them or is that something that is not really a big deal you don't really need to yeah for sure I definitely recommend putting on a leash 
um, and you can tether them to something. Um, I always say like put the leash on the other side of the door and then close it, um, but give them enough room to be able to move, but not enough to be able to run every time you, you <laughs> touch them. Um, because I, I hear all the time that people say, oh, well, I've tried to do their nails, but they end up you know running and hiding or going to my husband or whatever it may be. Um, you could also use a second person, um, but you want to be very careful not to use that person to add restraint, um, mm -hmm. only just extra support so they could hold the leash um, and then maybe put one hand on the dog. When you get to the step where you are doing the nail trim, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people do the nail um, dremel versus the nail trim. What is the difference between those? Like what, when you're handling that with your puppy, is it, you know, you need to be more careful, obviously, with a Dremel, but is that something that you can Actually, do? Actually, no. No. Um, that's why I prefer the Dremel. And do you prefer the Dremel? Yeah. The, yeah, I, for sure. <laughs> really? Okay. And why is that? Like, why is the Dremel easier? Yeah, I like the Dremel a lot better, especially for people that aren't super comfortable doing their dog's nails because it's a lot harder to hit something called their quick, um, which is a part inside of their nail um, that carries blood and has nerves and veins. Um, and if you cut that, it can, it'll make them bleed. And with clippers, it's a lot easier to cut further down. So with the Dremel, if you were to go a little bit too far, you might see a little spot of blood, but it's not going to be anything that's going to make your dog scream. <laughs> if you have a long-haired dog, be very careful with the Dremel because if it's too close, especially if you, if you have a long-haired dog who has a lot of like extra fur around their paws, if, it's, if it catches the hair, it's going to catch the hair, right? Oh. And it's going to go around in, in a circle. Also, put if you are a, a, a person with long hair, put your hair up before you do it because oh, yeah. both of us have had our hair caught in the Dremel because we're kind of looking like this and then the hair just falls down oh, and gets caught. But with a dog who is not good with nail trimming or handling in general, I, we normally do Dremeling because it's easier to get them um, conditioned to the sound in my, in my feelings is mm -hmm. uh, the sound of the Dremel versus taking that chance that when I finally go to clip, they move their paw and mm -hmm. then I quick them and it hurts. Mm. Now, if it, if we do quick them, we don't spend a lot of time coddling them or, mm -hmm. I mean, we don't spend any time doing that. We're like, okay, I understand that sucks. Let's move on. We still have to do this. Right. Um, but uh, that's why I prefer the Dremel is because I, I can make less mistakes. And even those quick little movements, if it's going to hurt anybody, it's going to hurt me rather than the dog. And it's going to Dremel my nail. Um, not like hurt badly, but it's not going to make this experience way worse for the dog next time. Mm -hmm. Got it. And and going back to when you quick your dog, um, it's really important also not to end there. Mm. Even if you just have to maybe, you know, work on just the baby steps a couple more times and then end it. Um, I would never end on quicking your dog because that's going to be their last memory of that interaction. And then next time you go into it, it might be a little bit harder. Yeah. But before you do it at all, I mean, look up what the quick is, look yeah. up pictures of it. Um, look up how to Dremel, how to hold, how to um, trim your dog's nails, look up all of that stuff. So you're not just going in and you're accidentally cutting it way too short, or you're using the wrong part of the Dremel. You're, uh, you, you have to know what you're doing when it yeah. comes to this kind of stuff. I've never been brave enough to do that on my dogs ever. Like I bought There's some somebody nail at this, <laughs> uh, this table who could teach you how to do that. I just, I get so nervous and I've had so many bad experiences because I've never done, you know, got myself to the point where I felt comfortable with clipping or drum or any of that. 
I was always very, or I still am, you know, I, um, very dependent on grooming or finding someone to do it for us. And thankfully I found you guys, but before that, before I found, you know, mirror image and was able to take the dogs to get bats there and do full bats and get all this done, it was chaos. Like it was so hard to find a facility where our dogs did not become traumatized from it. I took, um, before we, we got really lucky. I think it was maybe last year we had a really, really, really good groomer for about two years and she became a close friend and she was awesome. I mean, she was amazing, super sweet. She took care of our, you know, for Poochie of Kane and Max for a while and then she moved. So after that, it was really hard for me to find somewhere that I could take them. And I took Max and Kane to this facility where you walk in and you kind of pay for what you need. And it's like this whole thing. It's supposed to be easy. And I took them in that first day and I picked them up. I'm like, okay, cool. Easy process. You know, you just walk in, you drop them off. And then the second time I took them, Max freaked out when we walked in. Like I've never seen Max like that, where he just started growling and barking and freaking out and trying to leave. And then Kane went like did a um, peed on the lobby and it was like this whole thing. And I'm like, okay, something's not right here. Like they're not feeling comfortable. So I never took them back. And it, it was just like where these facilities and then we found another one where it was the same thing. They also got traumatized from it. Like the second time I took them, they would start shaking. They would freak out. It would be like a totally different dog as soon as they recognized where they were. And also the people there, like they never gave me feedback. They never really told mm -hmm. me like how they acted, what was good, what was bad, like what, what could they work through it was just like they got it done, like they forcefully got it done. Yeah. So when they started doing baths with you guys, you were like, all right, we worked through the Dremel. Mm -hmm. He did better today. He did a little bit better. Like they worked through that more and more. So it's, you know, once you start getting your dog to that point where you're taking them to the wrong facility, if you are taking them somewhere and they're not working with your dog through that, it creates such a bad um, you know, it's such a bad memory for them Which, where it really freaks them out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there are there are plenty of dogs that are great for nails that have no problem with it that you can go to one of those facilities because they just don't care that much, right? Um, I think the problem that we see is dogs that are reactive to handling. In the owner's mind, it's their first kind of thought is, okay, well, I need to take them to the vet. And then the way that I look at it, and Jillian and I both came from the veterinary industry, we worked together at a clinic. They have a very limited amount of time to get each thing done. Um, they, they're not there to train your dog. That's not the point of your groomer or, or your vet. So they're not supposed to take their time to me, right, and, and work through it. It's the dogs that struggle with it or the dogs that um, maybe are a little bit sensitive about their body that don't struggle with it yet, but we want to prevent that. Those are the dogs that I would I would look to a trainer to to work them through those things because your vet's not going to have the time. Your vet is going to suggest sedating, mm -hmm. um, and and I mean, how many dogs right now have you worked with? At least in the pack, yeah. like a lot. Yeah, I mean that that used to have yeah. to get sedated for their mm -hmm. nails, which is better than having five people lay on top of the dog, but. It's look at the purpose of your vet. Look at the purpose of your groomer. The, the purpose of those two people are not to make, your, make sure your dog loves everything that they're, that, that's happening to them. It's to make sure that it gets done. 
Yeah. That's, that's why you go there. The reason that we are exist is to make sure your dog maybe doesn't love it, but knows how to cope with it. I never thought for once that my dog had to get trained to, you know, feel comfortable with grooming. That was the last thing I just thought the groomer sucked and I need to find a new one. It, it was, you know, I put it all on them to make sure they felt comfortable. And like you said, they don't have time to make sure they're comfortable. I mean, both vets and groomers right now are so understaffed and overbooked. Ever since COVID, everyone got a dog. And I mean, there's a, a national vet, vet tech shortage uh, and groomers I know are in high demand. People can't get appointments for months. Mm-hmm. So these people are back to back to back. And especially at your vet, you're you're not, they're not going to take the time to make sure you're not, your dog is loving their nail trim. If they've got a dog that is really struggling with their health in the next room, that's going to be the important part is focusing on that dog, making sure time is spent on that dog and that owner, not your dog's nails. But I mean, the reason Jillian is so good at this is the same reason she's good at puppies is her patience and, and that she knows when to call it. She's not, she's not pushy like I am now. I, when it comes to Jillian's uh, dogs that are that struggle with nail trims, I have no problem and I can hold. I can be the holder because I am very good at, at just sitting there and waiting, right? But if you give me a task, I want to get that whole task complete. And if I'm, if I'm super close, I want to finish it and I, I forget to, to remember when to call it. Yeah. Jillian is very good about having one tab open in her brain and focusing on exactly what is at, ta- at at hand in front of her and having that back and forth conversation with the dog. And I think a lot of people go into it thinking, okay, I'm going to look at the dog's nails, not, okay, I'm picking up the paw. What's the tail doing? What are the ears mm-hmm. doing? Or is mm-hmm. the dog sitting down or standing up or moving away? Because it, it's not a, it's not, it doesn't matter to them how the dog feels about it. They're there to do a job. Yeah. yeah. The whole time that I'm handling a dog, whether it be for a nail trim or at a vet visit, I'm constantly watching their body. I'm watching their tail. I'm watching how many times their head starts turning over to me. I, you know, I watch their body, so their hackles or if they're shaking. And it's especially important, like when I handle for vet visits, um, making sure that the other person isn't about to get bit, or even myself, I'm not about to get bit. Um, by the dog. So it's, it's really important to watch the body language. We don't really think about, I feel like a lot of people don't, I never did with all my dogs that I needed to prepare them to get groomed or prepare them to go to the vet visits. I just thought we're going to get through this. That's what I do with Kemper. And (laughs) that's why Jillian does Kemper's nails because I get frustrated. I'm in the middle. I mean, yeah, I'm a trainer, but I'm a human too. I know how to do nails. I can do nails on, I mean, I've been doing them since I was 15. So when I go and I want to do my own dog's nails and he's like looking around and kind of, you know, trying to leave or wiggling or whatever he's doing, I get frustrated. I'm like, I'm a dog trainer. I know how to do your nails. Just sit still. But with Jillian, she's sitting there like, I know that you're having a hard time and let's, (laughs) let's, let's sit here and let's take it at your pace because this is something, and she's right. This is something that is going to have to happen I mean, multiple times throughout the course of your life. So let's make sure that this happens correctly. I mean, with Rusty, when I first brought him home, you know, and we had him, the only thing that I felt comfortable with, I'm like, oh, I feel so happy that 
Rusty's going to have a good experience with bats and getting Joel that did experience. his first one. Yeah. yeah. And she posted the video of him of, of getting that, um, the nail Dremel and he did so good. Mm-hmm. And like he worked through that and Rusty, our most anxious dog mm-hmm. was able to get through that, you know, but it, it's patience, practice and, and reading body language, right? You give mm-hmm. them the space for that. Right. Yeah. And also watching your energy, like like Millie was saying, making sure you're breathing, making sure you're not getting overly frustrated or holding the dog tighter or using you know more force with them. Yeah. Bubbles um, was really, really bad at his first nail trend. Um, really, really bad. I am a great holder because I'm not looking at the nails. I don't I'm not looking at how close are we to being finished. I'm just sitting there checking my energy because I have to make, be like really make sure that I'm kind of not blank mind, but neutral, calm and confident. Mm-hmm. So when I hold bubbles, I, uh, when I used to, when he, when he was bad, he's no longer bad. Um, but when I would hold him, I'd sit there and I, my job was be firm, right? So I'm not going to let this giant pity overpower me and take me for a ride throughout the center. So he's staying here, right? Um, but also I'm never holding too tight. I'm never, I, I don't ever do headlocks for dogs. I never um, am putting pressure on the leash unless he's turning around to muzzle punch Jillian in the head, right? Um, so it's, your holder has to be almost just as calm and confident, um, as your nail trimmer, as your actual, like whoever's doing the thing, the, the difference is that the nail trimmer also has to be patient. I only have to focus on one job is holding the dog and staying calm. Jillian has to focus on, okay, I was so close to trimming that nail and I didn't get to do it and that's okay. And I'm going to try again the next time that kind of stuff gets to me. I can't, (laughs) she's so much better at it, but you know, with vet visits, it's the same thing, right? What, what's, oh, well, we offer a vet visit. So a lot of training companies, um, well, coming from the vet industry, we know that a lot of dogs struggle at the vet. That's really where both of us sort of kind of found our passion mm-hmm. for behavior. So we offer a vet visit support, uh, service, meaning we will, Jillian, <laughs> Jillian will, um, go to meet you, not at your vet. We only offer it right now through Paw Patch Animal Clinic with Dr. Banner. We love, love, love them. Um, and she will go, she'll exercise your dog for a little bit beforehand if there's time. Um, and she'll hold your dog for the vet. Uh, so then it's being done by somebody who understands body language, who can take things slower and, and is also advocating for your dogs with the technicians and the vet. Right. And I, I think the biggest part of that is I'm not only just holding the dog for the visit, I'm also telling you exactly what I'm doing and exactly what I'm noticing in your dog. Yeah. So we get a lot of calls from Paw Patch of dogs that we they can't get the service done. So uh, what a couple months ago, they had a, a giant pity who came in for a neuter and they couldn't touch him. Mm-hmm. That Jillian went the next day and the dog was fine. I mean, the, she has... I don't know what it is. She has like magical powers. I truly <laughs> believe that like dogs that just freak out. Jillian will walk in and they're like, I guess if she says it's okay, then it's okay. <laughs> That's amazing. But th- the most important uh, part of that one with, with the giant pity, um, he needed to be muzzled. <laughs> like he for sure would have bit me um, if I didn't muzzle him. And, you know, sometimes people don't like remember that they can take advantage of these tools. It's, it's not mean. Um, it's more to make your job more comfortable and makes the dog more comfortable because of your energy with them. And then just going very slow with it. I, I take my time. I mean, with the muzzle, because we introduced that to Bubbles, 
And he's our, he's a big pity, you know, he's very strong. But when we have the muzzle, he, now that he understands the muzzle means a good thing, that means something, you know, fun's going to happen, that he's going to get more freedom. He becomes more comfortable when he sees it. I become like super comfortable. I'm like, all right, I know nothing can happen. So the energy changes. And then it, like you said, like energy is so big that once your energy changes, your dog feels that and picks up on that. And it's just like a calming experience. When I took um, Bubbles to the vet, like the last time, you know, he's like a, a big pit bull and we walk in and most people's like side eyeing me like oh, pit bull in a muzzle. You know, I want like you already know most people are judgmental with that breed. So uh, we we walk in and he's perfectly well behaved. He's right next to me the whole time. He gets on the scale. He sits on the scale. He's super calm. Meanwhile, there is dogs that are freaking out, screaming that the owners are having to like play tug of war with them with the leash and Bubbles remains calm and by my side the whole time. And but that's, he was the one who was probably judged, right? Because <laughs> yeah. he was a pity and a muzzle. Yeah. But people think it's the same thing like with the crate is we, we think of it as something that we have to use if a dog acts a certain way and our goal is to not have to use it. But I mean, I don't think that we really need the muzzle for Bubbles for Cairo visits, for his chiropractor services. But he's got it on because we want to make sure that that's a tool that remains neutral. You know, I might not have needed my, a crate for my 12 year old lab, but she had one so that she could rest away from the puppy if she wanted to. So it's, it's not exactly like you said, you have tools to, at your disposal, how you train those tools matters, how you use those tools matters and how you perceive those tools matter. Um, but I think that that's probably the biggest thing that I would say gets in the way with dogs and handling it's the owner's perception. So I think, you know, dogs can make a big deal out of something really, really, really small. And as humans, especially for our dog that we love and, you know, is in our home and we spend time with them, we hate seeing our dogs panic. And that's, I, I think a big thing that you work them through is mm -hmm. yeah, your dog is panicking right now. Um, but remember nothing is happening it's important right. to stay in reality. How often, I guess, how do you work a, a client through that when their dog is freaking out? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I usually, I let them know the reality of it. I say, um, you know, I, I've got the leash in my hand and I'm just holding on his waist. Nothing else is happening. And I'm just going to wait. I'm going to let him kind of go through that. I'll add pressure on the leash. Um, but yeah, I, I tell them the reality of it. And if your dog is freaking out and then you start freaking out, right. it makes the whole thing so much worse. Right. And so there are some times, at least, you know, when I was at, at the clinic that I used to work at, that I would say, you know, your dog actually does a lot better away from you because mm -hmm. you, you're going to react in a way that I won't when your dog starts panicking. Mm -hmm. And it, which is probably the reason kind of, kind of that, Jillian does better with my dog than I do when it comes to handling because I see him having any sort of reaction. I mean, he's not bad. He just tries to move away. And my personal relationship with him gets in the way of me having a conversation, having the conversation I need to with him. So a lot of times we'll, we'll take the dog away from you at the vet because you, you, I mean, you're struggling just as much as they are. So there's no reason to put you guys together because then it amplifies everything. 
kind of depends on the situation, but a lot of times I will bring the dog to the back and work them through it there and then kind of go over everything with the owner. And then maybe the next time after I get to know the dog and the owner a little better, then then I'll let them stay in the room so they can watch or even like I'll record it for them. When you're dealing with like a new uh, vet visit, what would you say is important for them to do at home to prepare for that vet visit? Yeah, so I always think it's a good idea to take your dog on a walk, make sure they're physically and mentally fulfilled, um, at least to a certain extent. If if they struggle on the car ride there, if they have a hard time in the car, not coddling them, not letting them come up and try to sit in your lap or sit in your passenger seat. All of that is kind of <laughs> leading up to the to the vet. Um, same thing, like right when you walk in the door, if they start to get nervous, which a lot of times they do, um, not reaching down and petting them or coddling them, them there. And then once you get in the room, not letting them jump up on the bench or on your lap or sit right under your feet. I see a lot of that. Oh my goodness. I just, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, I know. That's why I started laughing. I took cinnamon to the vet the other day. And the first thing she did was like jump on the bench. Mm -hmm. Oh, I saw that picture. Yeah, I know. And I'm like, ooh, maybe I'm in trouble. But she jumped on the bench and it was like she didn't want to touch the floor. But she did really good. I mean, Cinnamon has a spicy personality, but that's probably what's leading to that spicy personality is that she's getting away with some of these things. And like when you're a dog owner, you don't realize like the smallest things creates their reaction, you know, to in general, like changes their personality that when you let these things happen, like I let her sit on the bench and I thought that was the cutest thing. And now when I think about it, I'm like, I probably should have corrected that. So she understands it's the a tone. snowball thing, yeah. right? I mean, the other day when I sent you that video of bubbles staring at Sarah while she was eating, right? She was <laughs> eating some lunch that was before his adjustment. But right after that, he was the worst he's ever been for adjusting, right? Cause he was so intense because he had just been staring at somebody eating an Aussie forever has probably (laughs) fed him every time there's food around. So technically it's Ozzy's fault, but I mean, having it where you walk in and it sets the tone and it's not all just insecure dogs that are, that are a struggle for nail trims. It's not all dogs that are scared. It's sometimes dogs that are just frustrated with it. Like I wouldn't say bubbles was scared. He was frustrated with me. Mm -hmm. I mean, same with Max. I don't see him as fearful. He's frustrated. Mm -hmm. And so I think the dogs that come in and they're kind of like the dogs you explained of, you know, all the way at the end of the leash and kind of, you know, trying to meet every other dog or uh, barking at at the people at the front desk. That's where it starts from the second you get them out of the car in the car. That's where it starts. Right. And then also advocating for your dog. Um, I know people, they get bored waiting for the, the for the vet in the waiting room might ask to pet your dog or they talk to your dog. Um, advocating for their space and, um, you know, asking people, okay, please don't come up to my dog. We're actually in training or he's actually really nervous right now. Or same thing for when you actually go into the exam room and um, making sure the techs know that you, your dog doesn't want to be talked to a whole bunch or a pet a whole bunch. Or calling. I get a lot of people um, that call us as, as a training company of my dog is dog reactive. I'm about to walk in. Is it okay if I walk in? Are there any other right. dogs? Um, or my dog is human reactive. So um, I don't have a muzzled or I do have him muzzled. And, um, you know, uh, when you come down, just kind of ignore him. And people give me, I mean, direction, which I'm 
always thankful for because it helps me know what to expect when I go down there and it helps me set the tone for how the session's going to go. And I think it's just super important to remember when you go to your vet um, and you walk in and, and you see your vet techs, they're not dealing with reactive dogs day in and day out. They're dealing with a variety of dogs. Mm-hmm. So their job, once again, is to get it done in, in the best way that they can for the dog, given the time constraints. So your tech is going to come in and probably think that the thing that might make your dog the happiest is to talk to them or to bend down or um, to get really excited. And for some dogs, that can set them right off. So calling ahead and saying, hey, can you put on my file? My dog is no touch, no talk, no eye contact. My dog does not, can't be around other dogs. I'm going to bring my dog muzzled. I'm going to do this, but please respect my dog's rules and boundaries. And then making sure that you, when somebody comes into your room, you repeat that because it might not be the same person you talk to. Yeah, I did that uh, with all our dogs and I call ahead and I let them know what is going on with that dog. Like with Sue, she was really nervous. We were still getting to know each other. I'm like, hey, we just rescued this dog. She's pretty nervous. I'm going to wait in the car because she was in the crate in the car until it's our time to come in. And then when we come in, you know, I just want to make sure it's a quick process for her Mm because she's still very scared. So that set the tone. I feel like it's easier for you to call ahead and let them know mm-hmm. instead of trying to stand in the lobby and they're trying to do 10 things at once. And then you're telling them all your, you know, Oh, my dog's like this, this and that calling ahead is so important and they really appreciate oh, it. Oh, they yeah. I, coming from the vet industry. I've always appreciated that because then I'm able to, um, you know, tell people up front, Hey, you need to move this way or you need to move this way. Cause I've got a dog reactive dog coming through. Or if I see like, Uh, an unruly dog in the lobby when I worked at the vet, just a really happy-go-lucky one, but not controlled, I'll put them in a room or I'll say, hey, maybe go back this way or stand in the back for a little bit because this dog's coming through and and I I don't want a mistake to happen. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, calling ahead, the vets appreciate it and I've never had a vet that I've ever worked for say, well, just come in and and handle your dog, even though it's dog reactive. They're going to make room because they want that to go well for you too. And now with you, you know, if you have a dog that's a little bit more reactive, how would you start muzzle training them at home to get them prepared for these visits? How would you introduce that? My main goal is for the muzzle to become a neutral tool. Um, So that means using it in different places, different situations. The way you start actually getting them used to putting the muzzle on, um, there's a few different things you can do. If if your dog likes food a lot, um, you could put a little bit of peanut butter in the muzzle and leave it on the floor, or you can even, you know, bring it up to their face. Um, it just, it kind of depends on the dog. One person we're working with right now, we say just, um, put some, put some peanut butter on mm-hmm. in it and then put it on the floor. Cause the dog is so reactive when yeah. it sees a muzzle mm-hmm. that we don't, obviously we don't want the owner getting bit or anybody, but we want to absolutely mm-hmm. create a better association with the muzzle. Yeah. So, and then with the, the muzzle, once you get to the point where it is on their face, I know you guys told me this too, especially with bubbles, like try to put it on just when you take him out for a walk or Mm -hmm. when you give him playtime or like Mm -hmm. just put it on him. Although you don't need it, just put it on so he doesn't associate it with Mm -hmm. that specific interaction. And now we've gotten to the point where he's like muzzle and like he's so happy. He like jumps Mm -hmm. and he's ready to put it on because that's Mm -hmm. exciting. It's like, okay, something I'm going to do something right now. But it's not going to be bad. It's not going to, it's just, uh, it's, something's going to happen, you know, but he's not necessarily 
afraid of it where most people think muzzle is like the bad thing or mm-hmm. it means something bad. It's like, like I said, the looks we get when I'm walking with bubbles and he has a muzzle on mm-hmm. is like, Oh, that's a bad dog. And our, my, he's the best dog. He really is. Yeah. When we walk in the, I'm, I get so proud when we go to the vet and everybody compliments him. He's the, he's super sweet. He follows my lead. He's, you know, he, he, I, that, that's the expectation, mm-hmm. you know, that he, mm-hmm. that we created for him. And that took practice, that took training, like that took many, many day camps that he went to. And mm-hmm. that's a thing that we had to work through because he wasn't always like that. Yeah. Like I said, when, when in the previous episode, when we first got bubbles, he was on anxiety medication because he was so anxious. So to get him to a point where he's not on that anymore, he's fine. He listens to me. Yeah. He trusts me. It's a big deal. And but you we, have to work your dog. We you were know. able to get there because of the muzzle. Yeah. And I think the the biggest point that we can get to where I no longer can help you and now it's up to you is when I can't get a, a muzzle on your dog. That's where I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm not putting myself at risk. I'm not putting um, my staff at risk. And, and vets will tell you we have to sedate your dog. And if they can't get a muzzle on it and they can't touch it, that means they're going to have to kind of uh, put your dog almost in between a door and a wall and, and give them an intramuscular injection to sedate them. So mm-hmm. it's not fun either way. It's Muzzle training is key. Even if you don't think that you're going to need it, you might be able to put it on that first year and then you come back a year later. And now that muzzle, if you have not used it since the first year that you had to get your vaccines or their vaccines, you're, you're, the muzzle now represents the vet. And mm-hmm. now the dog is going to say, you're not putting that on me because I know exactly what that means. No yeah. way. And now you can't get a muzzle on the dog. We can't get a muzzle on the dog. And we, there's nothing we can do because no, we're, not, we're not magicians, right? I mean, your vet isn't a magician. Your trainer isn't a magician. And I, I'm not putting anybody at risk because you didn't take the time to teach something that you should have took, taken the time to teach. Mm-hmm. It's not fair to the dog either just for me to force this muzzle on them. And when you have a puppy you don't really know what their reactions are going to be to any, to anything that you do. So when you first start doing the, you know, the desensitizing, that's when you really figure out what really bothers them. Is that right. when you decide, okay, we've tried the Dremel m- multiple times. They're not improving. Is that when you think, okay, maybe I should introduce the muzzle? I think introducing the muzzle is never a wrong, the wrong thing. But what I would probably look at first, if my dog isn't improving with um, nail drumling skills is my tactic and maybe changing it or slowing Mm. down a little bit. Yeah. I love that. And that's why she's good. And that's why she's very good at it. But I mean, I think the problem people have is they don't always have a Jillian. (laughs) That's, that's the biggest problem. So, you know, some tips that we give people when it comes to either nail trims or, or vet visits is less is more always. I think that's the biggest thing that she does that helps dogs is she's not holding them down ever. She's taking, she's working with them where they're, where they're at in that moment. So less is more. Um, we already said this, but using a leash, right. Mm -hmm. And, and either tethering that to something. So your dog isn't able to just be like, okay, bye. See ya. Um, cause they're not going to love it the first time, you know, you got to teach them that to how to handle it. Um, I think when it comes to the vet and this is kind of at you now, Andrea, (laughs) when you walk, (laughs) when you walk in the door, give your dog a boundary. It's the same thing as when you first give like bring your dog home because what you said, it, it starts even when you get them in the car. And if you're spending that time waiting in the car for them to call you inside, coddling your dog, 
You're not making that vet visit any easier on your dog. Mm -hmm. What you do is what you work them in the parking lot. You walk back and forth, right? Isn't that what you normally Mm -hmm. do with Mm -hmm. the, the, um, the vet visit dogs? Mm -hmm. And then when you walk them in, let's say they're not ready for you. What, what are you going to do with the dog? I could go back out or, um, if, if they put us in a room, then I tell the owner, give that dog a boundary or sometimes I, I will even hold the dog if the dog is kind of reacting to me um, and then hand it back to the owner and tell them what I did. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. we're not going to let them on the chair, right? Okay. <laughs> and there's a lot of vet visits or a lot of vet rooms I've gone into that the the dog is sitting like right next to the human on the chair at eye level with me. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a bad time for me because <laughs> oh, the, the dog's already coming at it. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, really uh, intense, right? With a lot of kind of privilege in that situation and decision-making power. We already said this too, but hand, allowing your dog to be handled by somebody else other mm-hmm. than you, handing them to the vet techs and say, hey, I'm going to go up front because I just feel like I'm a little nervous. I don't know that my dog's going to do badly, but I'm a little nervous. So I'm going to go up front uh, and hang out in the lobby. You guys just do what you need to do. Let me know how it goes. Yeah. That's yeah. And, and making sure that they give you an honest, detailed answer on how it goes. Um, you want to make sure that you're up to date with how your dog is doing back there. So then you can take that information home and work on it on your own. Or to your trainer. Yeah. I right. mean, tell your vet, don't sugarcoat it. Was my dog awful? Or, you know, what do I need to work on? Where, where did we struggle? Because you want this to go easily the next time. I feel like that's where a lot of people that, you know, you don't really think about the small actions that your dogs choose to make when you're in that position like with um with bubbles and cinnamon they they I could be where they did great like walking in they're following my lead they're doing awesome on the leash they're behaving they're not being you know pushy but then we walk into the room and they want to sit next to me and that's where you're like oh you've been great come on you know it's fine but that's on my end I overlook that I'm just most of it happened, you know, with cinnamon, I didn't think anything of it because she did great. But then when she gets to sit next to me for the first time, second time, that's when, like Millie said, it could create like a snowball effect, right? It can. I mean, it it won't always, but absolutely it can. So giving them a boundary to the anxiety, giving them a boundary before you hand them off to somebody that they don't know. Yeah, it can. And in those moments, there's so few and far between. You're not having to take your dog to the vet every day. Right. You might as well give them a boundary. And at what point would you say, you know, it's time for you to look for a trainer, like maybe that you you need to call a trainer in for a vet visit? Is that when they're really bad? Or would you say you should work with a trainer before they get to that point where they're really overstimulated and reactive? What would be the, the point where you really work with a trainer on that? Yeah, I think most people don't actually end up calling a trainer until their dog has done something crazy like bit the vet or they're actually unable to do the nail trim now. Um, But I think you should call a trainer when you start noticing things and maybe just consult some like consult with them, Um, whether that just be like a video consult um, or even just, you know, sending your dog up for a nail trim at a trainer, um, a, a training facility, and then kind of having them evaluate how your dog did. Um, and then going from there, what do you yeah. think? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think calling for sure and making sure, cause there's a lot of trainers that don't train this, that they don't care necessarily about handling because most of their dogs have issues with other dogs or humans, but both of us coming from the veterinary industry, this is something we care deeply about. Um, and it's something that we take our time teaching from 
puppyhood to adulthood and work through when they have a lot of issues with it. So I think, yeah, a lot of times people don't come to us until it's until they have got a really, really big problem on mm-hmm. their hand, or maybe their previous dog had a really big problem mm-hmm. um, and they want to make sure this next one doesn't. Um, but I think, it, it, yeah, if your trainer does this, absolutely go in and consult with them. Video consults is a great one because it allows us to talk you through it without actually being in the room. So you're simulating what it would be like to just do your dog's nails at home. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of times having a new person in the house is kind of a whole different energy and you get a whole different mindset mm-hmm, from the dog. Sure. So sometimes we prefer the video consults for, for handling stuff because we can talk you through it and the dog doesn't know we're really there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, ideally your dog doesn't have an issue, but if, if they do, that is something to work on and it is something to prevent them from having these issues from puppyhood. Now that I'm aware of how important it is to desensitize them, I just feel like everyone should just tell, uh, ask a trainer or look for a trainer to work with their dog through grooming and vet visits because you're going to have to deal with that and it's just going to make it so much easier on you mm-hmm. because you're, if your dog is desensitized to grooming or nail clipping or Dremel, and you need to take them in you somewhere, it's going to be much easier for you to find a facility to take them to instead of trying to find the perfect place. Mm-hmm. Just get your dog prepared for that situation where they can go to a groomer, maybe, you know, and a groomer that's fast paced and they're going to just get through it. You're not looking for a groomer that's going to take their time or train because that's what my mistake was. was like my I never thought of that as like a training method that we needed to get through for grooming or vet visits. I felt like they were just having these terrible experiences, but it's because I put it all on that facility to work them through that. At the end of the day, training your dog isn't, it's not your trainer's responsibility. It's not your vet's responsibility. It's not your groomer's responsibility. It's yours. So when you bring a dog home, you have a dog who is going to have some sort of needs when it comes to maintenance, whether that's just nails or veterinary visits. If you bring a long haired dog home, especially a doodle, and I know groomers everywhere will thank me for this. If you own a doodle and you are not brushing that dog at least once a day, not Max because he's got crazy short hair, but I mean, at least once a day or every other day, you're creating a reactive dog with handling because that is going to now hurt the next time that you brush them. So if you own a doodle or any long haired dog and you are not brushing that dog at home, it is not your groomer's responsibility. It is not your vet's responsibility and it's not your trainer's responsibility to make them like something that is now painful. That's not fair. Yeah. And now with, uh, when you are, you know, when you're bringing your dog to the vet and there's a lot going on, I see a lot of owners reaching down and say, it's okay, don't worry, petting. And I used to do this all the time. Now, how is this creating like a confusing environment for your dog? How does that affect like petting your dog or sweet talking them? How does that affect that situation? For a few different reasons. Um, The first one, it makes you look unbalanced to your dog. It makes you look uh, weak. In that time of worry and panic for them, they want a leader. They want someone that's going to tell them exactly what to do, not just pet them. (laughs) Um, It's the same thing with us. When when we're scared, we want someone to tell us what to do, not someone just to say, it's okay. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I I posted that thing a while ago of like if you hear glass breaking in the middle of the night, 
mm-hmm. and you know your partner rolls over and starts like petting you and massaging you and telling you <laughs> it's okay versus like getting up and saying okay you call 911 I'm gonna go check this thing out or I'm gonna go look at the cameras which one makes you feel better yeah. right like that's a you great want example, somebody yeah. to tell you what to do right it can also accidentally reward or reinforce that behavior. So if your dog is, um, say, whining or shaking and you reach down and you pet them every time they start that, the dog's going to do more of that behavior because they're getting something, um, they're they're getting a reward for it. So when they're whining, crying, being reactive, should you just get up and, and take their attention away or like walk around or what, what, what would you do in that moment? So, so like Millie said earlier, giving them a boundary, um, is, is a big thing. Um, and a lot of times dogs that are panicking are going to have a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's probably where you'll spend most of your time. You can do some walking around, but you're, you know, you're not going to be able to walk around for the entire vet visit. Um, have your vet chase you around <laughs> like, hold on, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, like, I, like we said, a walk beforehand or a walk outside in the parking lot is great. And then once you get inside boundary. Okay. So with, I mean, with today's episode, we talked about a lot with grooming and vet visits, I feel like. I mean, we we talked about desensitizing your puppy with the electric toothbrush and, you know, playing with their paws calmly and, you know, going through those motions with them, um, exercising them, putting them, you know, on the lead when you're doing all of these things with them and trying to desensitize them. And, you know, the vet portion is really a big one. Do you guys want to add anything more to it? I think with all of it, I would just say, don't expect them to love it. I mean, they're not going, this is not going to be the best day on earth for, you know, when you have to do their nails or their vet visit uh, for your dog. Don't go into it with the expectation they're going to love it. Just go into it, uh, trying to work them through it in the calmest way you can. Yeah, well, I mean, if you if you guys have any questions about this um, specific topic, please feel free to email us at info at thinklikeadogpodcast.com. And if you can follow us on social media, that's where we're going to post a lot of the answers to your questions. We will have an episode come out where we're just talking about some of the, the bigger questions and go more in depth about that. But the more generalized questions will be answered on social media that is Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. This was a really awesome topic to go into because a lot of people don't think about it. Like I was one of those people. And it's going to be really helpful, you know, to really start working with your dog through this. So thank you so much for joining us today. And don't forget, practice makes progress. All right. Until next time. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Think Like a Dog Podcast and follow at Mirror Image Canine for training tips. If you have any questions, please reach out to us via email at info at thinklikeadogpodcast.com.